the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. My special guest today is a longtime friend and associate. His name is Pastor Alvin Curry. He's the lead pastor at Pillar of Truth Community Church in Burien. And Pastor Alvin, welcome to Heart of the City. Well, thank you, Chuck. And it is truly an honor, a pleasure, a privilege, and a blessing to be here. And thank you for calling me a longtime friend. <laughs> well, you are, friend. you are a longtime friend. Uh, you and your wife, Vivian, have come to our pastor's events for many years. Yes, we have. And you had a program on uh, 820 AM, The Word, for many years. So, yes. So, you know, I always appreciate that. You've got a genuine smile and just always enjoy when we have a chance to connect. And it's all thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Yes. This program is having pastors and ministry leaders share their personal stories of how they came to faith and then how that then call came into your life to go into full-time ministry. So, uh, you know, stories usually start at the beginning. So you had told me before we came on the air that you're a long-time Washingtonian. You grew up in Washington. Born and raised right here in Seattle, Washington. Oh, really? Done some traveling, but born and raised right here. Uh Uh-huh. 1960 at Swedish Hospital. Oh, really? Yeah. I was actually born December 31st, a minute before New Year's. Really? So that tax deduction got in right? <laughs> right in time. <laughs> uh, and that's always good, right? Yes, yeah, amen. Always, always good. Kind of like not... our God. He's yeah. always on time. <laughs> amen. I'm five years uh, older than you are, but okay. you and I grew up in the same time frame as yes. far as the life and culture, although Seattle was a much different city back in the 60s and 70s than what it is now. Much different than what it is now. Back then, there was still a little bit of uh, issues, Right, I'll just say it that way. Very much so. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, what was life like growing up for you in the, in the 60s in Seattle? What life was like for me growing up in the 60s in Seattle was uh, in a place called High Point Project. It was uh, difficult in that um, single-parent home uh, with five boys. Uh, Mother did what uh, mother did to help raise us. Uh, We did have a father, but he lived in the central area. Mm -hmm. And so um, us as kid children, we rarely got to see our father. Mm-hmm. I um, was a, a frightened little boy. I didn't like uh, children uh, or other kids, I should say. Right. As a child coming up, even though I had five, I had all these brothers, I didn't play with them or or the kids in the community. Uh, I was more of a mama's boy, and even when kids would come and uh, play, when they see me outside, I would just run in the house and leave my toys and let them uh, have that. So why? The, why? Do you, do you, you know, know, as you look back at it now, was it just uh, you were afraid of them? You said you were afraid? Yeah, I say I was afraid, but I look back now, and 
that's why I said I was afraid. I must have been. But why? I don't know. Other than I'm not a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and you've got brothers, and and so, but they're not. They're just small like me oh, too. Really? So oh, we really? were all little kids, you right, know. And right. And then also, I can remember too uh, that there was a, a stigma attached to to the names. Uh, there were certain names. I'm not going to name some of them now, but there right. were there were names of families that had this name that you know you just watched out for right and right. so um yeah. so what was your spiritual formation like was your mom a believer or did you go to church uh, what was yeah it? and so growing up in high point in the 60s there was a lady named and i will name her god rest her soul uh miss madison was her name and she would always take us boys to church mama didn't go to church mm-hmm but uh, she made sure us boys went to church. And back in that time, it seemed like we went to church every day. <laughs> uh, yeah. And 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 wasn't nothing any wrong. There was nothing wrong with it. I mean, we just thought that that was a thing you did because that's what happened in in my life. Is right. that you just went to church. And, um, so Miss Madison brought us up in the church, and uh, mom didn't go to church. And then you know, uh, time goes on, Chuck and. You get to an age where you make a decision, and I thought, I guess, in my mind's eye, that when you become adult, you don't have to go to church anymore. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I couldn't wait to get older so I didn't have to go to church anymore and do more running around and playing in in the neighborhood. Right. Uh, But uh, it did come that time where I quit going to church. But one thing I did love was school. That was one thing I did love with school. Hmm. I really loved school because uh, that's where all of the kids were. But around the fourth grade, Chuck, I got sick, and I had to stay home for a week. I don't remember what it was, but I remember staying home for a week, and then I didn't want to go back to the school uh, once I got well because in the midst of my being sick, I uh, heard about another school, and uh, I wanted to go to that school. And so what I did was I uh, told my mom I wanted to go to that school. It made my brothers and them upset, but it was, uh, it, uh, let's just call it like it is. I'm telling my testimony. It was a, it was a white school opposed to the black school that I was going to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew early on that I needed to get away. Hmm. Um, I, I didn't want to come up how I was seeing us come up. <laughs> and so I said, if I can go there, maybe I'll learn something and maybe I won't be stuck in this this ghetto, this project, right. like I'm seeing a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. And so I got the opportunity to go to that school and uh, things went well and um, people d- didn't like that, but uh, it went well for me. So I, was that I, tough on you with your with family and friends, where you're going to a, a white school instead of with them? Yeah, it was really tough. It, it was really tough with family and friends because it was like uh, I'm Uncle Tom. Uh huh. And but you know, I just loved people, and I'm looking back now in retrospect, and God had His hand on my life even way back then. Hmm. Um, so. It was tough. I dealt with it, got through it, um, you know, go to high school. You know, that was elementary, then go to junior high school. And uh, no more church, though, uh, after uh, 
after elementary, no more church. Uh, we moved away, and so we, uh, mom didn't take us to church, and so I thought that was it. You know, I knew, yeah. I say I knew of God. I didn't know like I know more of God now. I just knew of God. Yeah. So, and then, uh, so here I am, nine years old. Uh, we moved to another area, and uh, my uncle um, fondled me. And so that hurt me, and uh, I had uh, vowed to myself within my own mind's eye that uh, I would take care of him when I got older. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I, I didn't know the damage that it really done to me then. Um, that I do know now that I've gotten resolved with. Um, so I grew up with this uh, anger in me, and uh, so I had to learn how to fight. Because no man, boy, was ever going to put their hands on me again, Mm -hmm. again. And so um, I learned how to fight. I took martial arts and um, did all of that, Uh, learned some boxing and uh, learned how to protect myself. But at the same time, I still felt inadequate. Mm -hmm. And so how to help me to be more adequate was I had to get with a woman and prove that I was the man that I believed that I was. Right. And so that caused a problem, too, because then I had to get with not just a woman, but I had to keep proving to myself over and over and over again. So I got with as many uh, women as I could get with that would let me get with them. So Mm. I became a womanizer. Mm. And uh, I look back now, and I I say, man, I was a male prostitute. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Selling myself. Right. Yeah. So a little bit fast forward, um, then uh, my father died. And uh, I loved my father as I get a little emotional now. Mm -hmm. He's been gone since 88. But uh, he died in 88, and so uh, I had this pain. And uh, mind you, uh, during the high school years, I got involved with marijuana, and so I smoked marijuana from the age of 16 to the age of 28 uh, when my father died. And then I needed something else to medicate the pain that I was having uh, with having been molested as a child and now my father dying. Mm -hmm. And so the marijuana and just getting with another woman and uh, fighting guys, it it wasn't killing the pain. And so this was a big uh, catastrophe that dad died on me. And then, mind you, Chuck, he died and he never told me, I love you, son. Mm. Uh, his way of showing me love was uh, buying me a car, giving me money, uh, that type of thing. But uh, it, it, I missed him not saying, I love you. Mm. So I turned to harder drugs, and I got involved with uh, crack cocaine. And that's when uh, my life, uh, which I thought was my life, just took a serious spiral and I just started going down and down and down and down. But I knew of God. And I, and I started to pray. And I started to ask God to, to help me overcome this, uh, this lifestyle that I'm living. How old, how old were you at the, about this time? So I'm 28 at this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that went on for quite a few years uh, uh, until 90... We'll say really, it was, it was really bad from 88 to 92. 
and that's when I went to jail mm. in 1992. I'll never forget it. It was in the summertime like it is now. And uh, in the midst of my uh, going to jail, that's when I uh, turned to God. And, uh, you know, I know there's uh, a stigma that goes with that. He's got uh, jailhouse mm-hmm. religion. But I, I, I share with you, Chuck, as uh, I share with the radio audience, it wasn't a jailhouse religion. Uh, it was real. God showed up like uh, he did with Paul when Paul was in uh, prison. And uh, he revealed himself to, to me to be the God that he said he is because he spared me. I was looking at 10 years, and uh, I ended up getting six months. Mm. In county? In county. Mm-hmm. So I did six months in the King County Jail. And uh, in the midst of that, I uh, devoted, dedicated myself to God. And uh, when I got out in uh, early 93. Were there believers along there with you? I mean, did, were there guys there that had a had a, a certain knowledge of God? Well, I'm glad you asked that because initially, no. But uh, I was in this tank they call Rackback Tank. And... <laughs> Uh, I laugh now, but every single one of the men that was in that tank, there was probably about 11 of us in there, with the exception of one. All of us would come to the table, we would read our Bibles, we would pray, and we would just study, and that was all we would do. We wouldn't find ourselves stuck over there with the TV, and except for that one guy, he did. So that was that. So was he got good. the TV all to himself. So he got the <laughs> TV all to himself. <laughs> well, he's he happy. Watch what he wanted to watch and, <laughs> yeah. and all of that. Right, but uh, right. no, I was sold out for Jesus then. And when I got out in uh, December 18th, I won't forget it, December 18th, 1992, I, um, uh, it was like being uh, let out into a, a candy store because you're right, in there was one thing. But then coming back out here was a whole nother thing. And so uh, my mother had had a major stroke, so she couldn't help me. Uh, she needed help herself. Uh, and I had nowhere to go except to my uncle's house. And that was the last place I wanted to go. Now, this is the uncle? That this is the uncle. Mm-hmm. But I had nowhere else to go. I had no other family. Uh, I literally had nowhere else to go. Or I thought I had nowhere else to go. I guess I could have went to a shelter. Right. But uh, a little bit, still a little bit of pride there. Mm-hmm. I can't live in no shelter. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I went to my uncle's house when I got out that Saturday, and I had met a lady uh, in the midst of being in jail, uh, a guard. And so um, she said, when you get out, the first thing you need to do is go to church. And uh, I'm going to take you to church. And I said, yeah, okay. And I said, well, I'll be staying over here. And uh, and I kind of liked the lady, and, and I was hoping that, you know, that would happen mm-hmm. and something would happen from that. Uh, so anyway, and I'm still married, mind you. That's why I went to jail, because of domestic violence. Anyway, um, to quickly uh, share my story, um, I struggled, and she said, well, you, one of the things you need to do is you need to go back to your wife and reconcile and, and, and make things right. And, and I had read it in the scriptures. Yeah, I needed to do everything within my means to make this marriage work because I, I made a covenant with God, and I entered into a covenant when I married this woman. But uh, she was uh, involved with another guy. I was in there, of course. I, they gave me six months. I only did four, so she got involved in another relationship, and then she said, yeah, 
I could come back and we could make the marriage work. And uh, two days uh, back, uh, I went to work and uh, just felt in my spirit to go home early and uh, came home early. And there it was. And mm-hmm. so instead of acting up, though, God was working because instead of acting up like I did the first time, I went ahead and just walked away and just left everything, gave her the car, gave her the, everything. I didn't even take any clothes with me. I just walked away and went uh, to the lady uh, who uh, befriended me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went there, and uh, she said, yeah, you can stay here. I got this uh, split-level house. You can stay down here, and you know we'll share the kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. And so one thing led to another there, and uh, w- her and I just got through celebrating 24 years wow. of holy matrimony <laughs> of July 28th. Yeah. And so. The Vivian's her name. And Vivian is her name. Yeah. I want to put her name out there. Yes. Yeah. Vivian Clark Curry, uh, First Lady of the Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church, but the only lady of my life. Yeah. So th- that's pretty much my story. My testimony in a nutshell, you know, growing up in the projects, getting involved in drugs, being molested. And I guess that's why God has me working in the capacity in which he has me working. Well, let's talk about that, because you do now work with with uh, uh, people who are dealing with addictions and domestic violence and anger management and all that. Yes. Talk to me about that, because you you use words at the beginning of your testimony. You were talking about fear. And yes. anger, and yes. all of those things, and now you're working with people who have fear and anger and all of those things. So yes. the Lord has a way of, of kind of bringing that around, doesn't he, he? He really does. He really does. And if I can quickly share with you as I talk about that, uh, I did mention fear and I did mention anger, and God has uh, gifted me to uh, do what uh, some people may even know, uh, uh, acrostics. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people call them uh, there's a gentleman by the name, he's an actor, I don't know his first name, but uh, uh, Busey is his last name, and they call them Buseyisms. And so I call them Alvinisms. Alvinism. And, okay. <laughs> and so they're acrostics. In other words, Chuck, uh, it's where you take a word and make it say something, like the word can't, C-A-N-T. People a lot of times say they can't, and I help them see that they shouldn't say can't, C-A-N-T, continuously acknowledging negative thoughts. So I mentioned anger and fear. Mm-hmm. And so I want to give you a uh, cross-stick or an albinism, if you will, for anger, A-N-G-E-R. Okay. That's always needing God's everlasting resources. Because mm. the Bible tells us to be angry, but sin not. Mm. So when I get angry, I need God's everlasting resources to do that which would bring honor and glory to his name. And in, in other words, I make anger and I teach people to let anger be their number one asset instead of their number one liability. And then there's uh, fear, and uh, F-E-A-R. That's a false experience appearing real. Fear can be face everything and recover. Fear can be forgetting everything is all right. Mm-hmm. So um, I t- that's what I do in, in the field in which I uh, work in as far as domestic violence and anger management. Yeah. Yeah, to help uh, clients to see and know that there's a better way and another way. Well, when you uh, when you were growing up, Miss Madison, yes, planted some seeds in your heart. The word, whether you liked church or not, <coughs> the 
she was a smart enough woman to know that there were some seeds going on in your life. Yes. That once you got in King County Jail and sitting in a tank, that those, mm. the fruit of those seeds began to take place. To, to began to, we're starting to, to ripen, right? Yes, yes. That fruit was ripening. There are people that I'm sure you deal with now that never had those seeds planted. Exactly. And so they're, they're uh, walking into you and, and with, without any hope, without any right. background at all of the mm-hmm. knowledge of God yes. or his word. So when you meet people like that, what, what do you say and how do you talk to them? Wow, yeah. Well, you know, uh, there are those that come in and they say, well, I don't believe in God. And so I say real quickly to them, which God do you not believe in that you said you don't believe in? <laughs> because everybody believes in a God. Because these people who come to see me are just as much as a, of an addict as I am. Because everybody who's born or will be born, Chuck, will be born an addict. We get our English language from the Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And so we get our word addiction from the Latin word addictus which means simply to turn yourself over to, to surrender yourself to, to devote yourself to. So everybody who's born will be born, will be born into sin. They will be addicted to sin. They will be addicted to the human kingdom. Hmm. <laughs> and so, I, I, of course, I can't do that like I'm sharing with you. Right. But uh, that's the gist of what I say without uh, bringing in Christ or uh, God in the context of... Uh, the, the church guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's how, that's how I, I get the conversation going with right, them. Right, right. Asking what God don't you believe in? Mm. The God money, the God women, the God drugs. Yeah, those, those, those are little G gods, but nevertheless, they're gods. Well, Alvin, uh, we're speaking with Alvin Curry. He's the, the pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church in uh, Burien, And uh, we've just got a few minutes left, and I know that there are people listening today who have uh, family or friends, close friends, Mm -hmm. that uh, are dealing with addictions or dealing with anger, uh, management, uh, learning how to uh, manage their anger, Mm -hmm. uh, or domestic violence. Uh, What message would you have to give them today? The message that I would have to give them today, Chuck, would be for them to pray, to first pray. I, I believe there's so much power in prayer, and, and I would encourage them to pray and then pick up the phone hmm. and make that call to the necessary uh, parties that you need to make the call to uh, because uh, there is help. There is, and there there are a lot of people like yourself who yes. are resources, aren't there, yes. in so many different areas. So many different areas. Yeah, yeah. It's a sickness, Chuck, in, uh, in, in a sense. And so what do sick people do? They call the doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, going to a domestic violence agency, going to a chemical dependency agency, is like going to the hospital. So I would tell them, if you got an a issue, an illness, a sickness, or a sin, is what I really want to say, right. in your life, then you may, and you, and you want to get well, call the doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's so much shame attached to that yes. that the Lord wants to deal with people in their in their lives, and if they can if they can break through that shame, and have folks like yourself who have a faith based uh, orientation as Amen. far as counseling, that's yes. huge because yes. 
The reality is our hope is in Jesus, isn't it? It sure is, Chuck. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, listen, we need to wrap up now, but if you'd like to get a hold of Alvin Curry and talk to him further, you can go to area code 206 947 2117. That's area code 206 947 2117. And uh, reach out to him, and he'll be glad to share with you. Alvin, thank you for joining me today you, on Heart of City. Yes. God bless. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word, call Chuck Olmstead, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.